now you're really, really turning my heart screws here. I think about that match uh, quite a bit, you know, even even to this day. Oh my God, this is the match I hate the most of my whole entire career. But yeah, I learned my lesson the hard way, and I really didn't have one one fifth of the success that I believe that I should have had. If they do remember me, I, I'm I'm long gone and and uh, you know in, in the in the dust. But uh, oh, that is a tough one. That one is a tough one. As soon as it happened, as soon as he won, I was frankly terrified. Um, we had wrestled my freshman year, and he absolutely destroyed me. Uh, it was probably the worst beating I've ever taken in my college career. Up to the point where I just I couldn't I couldn't get there. You know, I couldn't find a rhythm in the tournament. I, I don't know if I ever regained my focus in my competitive years again after that. That to be selfish at that level in some ways. Um, to 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 reach the top, and I think I just wasn't willing to do that at that point in my life. As a wrestler, you know, when you lose, a lot of times you're not as upset at yourself as you are. Just wouldn't say embarrassed, but just you, you feel like you let a lot of people down. You hear that was my whole identity, and now my identity is gone. What am I supposed to be now? What do I do for the rest of my life? Welcome to episode twenty of the Sudden History Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host Earl Smith. Twenty episodes. That's a special number to me. 20 is my lucky number. Whenever I played football or baseball, I always tried to get number 20. Even later on with rugby, which was funny because each position had to designate a number, and number 20 was supposed to be a bench player. I didn't really care. I thought that was dumb and took the number anyways. Okay, so getting off that tangent, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but thank you again to everyone who listened to last week's show featuring Matt McDonough. For the second week in a row, we broke show records for downloads. If you listen to the end of last week's show, I mentioned how this would be a different sort of show compared to the ones I normally put on. That's what's happening today, because it's my 20th show. So we're going to be talking about pro wrestling with Kyle Dake. No, not pile drivers and the Iron Sheik. I'm talking about the blueprints for an actual professional wrestling league. So enjoy this talk with Kyle Dake. Welcome to Sudden History. Our guest today was the only four-time NCAA champion at four different weights. It's Kyle Dake. Thanks for joining us, Kyle. Thanks for having me. So probably two weeks ago now, I don't remember the exact circumstances. Why, if you follow Kyle on Twitter, and you know why wouldn't if you if you're a wrestling fan, um, he sent out multiple tweets about how we need to have a pro wrestling league and a couple of ideas for a potential league. It seemed like you got a good response from fans giving you suggestions, ideas, and feedback. So there is interest there. I would love the idea of a pro pro league. So I figured we'd do something different today and discuss some ideas for a pro league, the pros and cons, just to get a dialogue going. You know, maybe if we discuss it, other people will discuss as well. And uh, maybe some important people will realize that there's interest for it. So starting all off, uh, what would it mean for you as a potential competitor to get a shot at competing in a professional league in America? I think it's huge. It's um, When you grow up and you're in the, in the era that we're living in now, and even for the past hundred years, <clears throat> everyone has loved team sports, whether it be baseball or football or basketball or hockey or soccer, whatever it is, um, people just tend to gravitate towards 
team sports a little more than they do individual sports. Now it's changing a little bit, but for the sake of argument, I think team sports are probably the the best way to get fans um, excited about whatever sport they're excited about. So for us, we need to get excitement for wrestling, and I think we're kind of going in the right direction. And and what we have done over the past four or five years to try to you know get wrestling back in the Olympics, but I think that we're not. <clears throat> I think we can go another step further, and I think a pro league in in the United States is is one way to do it because I think everyone loves coming to the U.S. and we have such a big population and um, a lot of fans and a lot of athletes who would love to compete at a high level. So you're still a pretty young guy. I don't know if you're familiar with the most famous attempt at professionalizing the sport with RPW Real Pro Wrestling. It was in the mid-2000s. Oh, yeah, if I know so, about it. If so, what are your takeaways from uh, you know, just uh, that experience? Um, well, I, I remember watching it, one or two dual meets, and thinking, this isn't wrestling. Um, it just looked different. You know, guys weren't wearing singlets. Guys were, um, I can't remember if they were in a cage or what it was. It just didn't look like yeah, they, they no had kind of a that. They had kind of a big, like, raised stage, almost like with a moat around it, it looked like you would have. Yeah, it was just, it just, for me, it didn't look like wrestling. And then the, the rule, I don't even know the rules for it. And I think it was like they tried to combine a couple things, like freestyle Greco Anto style, if I'm not mistaken. Mm hmm. Yep. So I think that that made it difficult for me to watch as well. Now, I think that that whole real pro wrestling came about, I don't know, five to ten years too early. Uh, mm-hmm. That was just around the time when Facebook was starting to, Facebook and MySpace were starting up. And the social media aspect of, of sport for smaller level sports um, is absolutely ginormous. It is pretty much the only way um, that we can get information out about our sport is through social media. Without social media, it's very difficult for us to break into a market such as um, ESPN and and those big networks with big-time sports. Um, However, we're living in a time where we have a huge online presence, in terms of social media as well as also having a, a streaming device or streaming site like Flow Wrestling. I think that we're in a much better place now to try to start a, a wrestling league than we were in the, in the mid-2000s. Um, from what I understand about Real Flow Wrestling, there was one guy who basically wanted to do it all and fund it all. And... Mm-hmm. He he had all the rights to all the footage, and all of the footage was stored in his basement. And something happened to his house, and he lost all the footage, and it couldn't, couldn't be retrieved. So that didn't seem like a very good model. And without being able to store it on the Internet or store it on the cloud or whatever, Google Drive, whatever you want to call it, um, 
it's a pretty tough model to, to continue. Um, now, I think that if we were to attack a, a league, a professional league today or within the next three or four or five or however many years, then I think we're <clears throat> in a much a much better place to do that because it's just the time period has changed and you could have a great idea, but it could be a hundred years too early and, and nobody would care about it. Um, so one of the things you said, um, it actually is kind of a bigger argument than actually or bigger um, discussion than pro wrestling, but you said that it didn't look like wrestling like you're used to. It didn't look like, you know, they were wearing just the shorts with no shirts. Um, you know, what is your ideal uh, competitive outfit, uh, singlet, or, or, you know, what do you think? And again, this is probably bigger than a wrestling league. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that you should be able to choose what you want to wear. Um, at the higher levels, I think that it's, it's fine to wear singlets. You know, if you're wrestling on the senior level circuit or if you're in college, I think it's fine to wear a singlet. Um, or if you're, Eh, no, I think those are probably the two levels where wearing a singlet doesn't affect how you perform. Now, once you get down into high school and into junior high and into youth wrestling, um, it 100% has an effect on the amount of participation, the way guys compete, and how, and just people actually liking competing, liking watching it. Nobody wants to see a, a poor little kid who, you know, who's, what, 10 years old, embarrassed about his body. He's He doesn't want to go out in front of all his friends wearing pretty much nothing but his underwear and, you know, grabbing, you know, grabbing another guy or a girl grabbing another girl. It doesn't, that doesn't seem appropriate to him because he's not comfortable in his own skin. And, unfortunately... The, a lot of people in power, you know, in state powers, national powers, they don't quite get that. And if they do, they don't understand the huge impact that it has on participation. Um, this past year, I was a, a youth wrestling coach at my high school. Um, and we had, I don't know, 45 kids coming and I didn't make them <clears throat> I didn't make him compete. There were some kids who wanted to compete and there were some kids who wanted to wear singlets to practice every day. And mm-hmm. for a majority of those kids were in a different club. They were in uh, like an actual comp- competitive club uh, nearby. And, you know, they just wore singlets to practice every day. And, and that's fine. If they want to wear singlets to practice every day, they really love wrestling. That's fine. But you have the new, the new wrestler step out of the mat. And you tell him he has to wear the singlet and to go out and he's he's only practiced wrestling for two weeks, he's not gonna have very much fun with it. So mm-hmm. I think another another big problem we have with our with our wrestling is that we kind of just throw our kids to the wolves really soon. Um and a good analogy that I heard, I can't remember who said it, um but it's it's basically like you bring a kid in for two weeks to, to basically learn wrestling for the first time. And then on his second week that Saturday, you put him in a wrestling tournament. Oh, no, you'll figure it out. And the kid just gets beat up and doesn't have any fun. 
and then decides to quit a week later. Mm-hmm. So another analogy for that is you take a kid who's never swam before, throw him in a pool, teach him how to doggy paddle and, and bounce for two weeks, and then say, okay, you're in a competitive meet now. Go get him. <laughs> and obviously you would never do that because the kid doesn't know how to swim. He doesn't even know how to freestyle stroke. He doesn't know how to breaststroke. He doesn't know how to do these things. He knows how to doggy paddle. You're not going to just throw a guy in to a, a swim meet who has only been swimming for two weeks. That doesn't make any sense because he's going to drown. And we're basically drowning all of our wrestlers by making them compete so early. That's a pro- and, and what happens is you have these these people who are all about making money off of off of wrestling and running tournaments and say, oh, no, we need more tournaments. We need this, 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 this. When in reality, we just need participation in the practice room. You know, if, if instead of losing 70% of the people who who decide to join wrestling, we can keep 50% of them by not making them compete the first year, that's that's huge numbers for our sport. And there's just, I'm not sure why it's been like this. And I think that it probably goes to the fact that, oh, it's always been like that. We've always done it this way. And as we've seen by having our sport almost dropped for the Olympics, doing things just because they've done them in the past probably is the best way to go. And the problem is that there's a lot of people who have been around the sport for a long time and think they know exactly what's best for the sport. And sometimes it's not what's best for a sport. And you need to shake things up a little bit to try to find a new way to do it. And I think that if a majority of people can understand that and a majority of coaches can understand that, then they're going to see a lot more success. And hopefully that translates into having more success further down the line uh, at the Olympic level and at the professional level. Okay. So, and you had talked about this kind of briefly, what are your views on uh, rules of competition, folk style, freestyle, Greco hybrid? I think flow wrestling called the Tirapelli rules. Um, you know, what would you like for a pro competition? <clears throat> I think that you should keep it freestyle rules. Um, it's going to be a freestyle league, and that's the world. That's the world. Uh, that's the rule, world rule set. You know, mm-hmm. you're not. It's not like. It's not like we're trying to make up a new rule because we need to. There, there's no need for making up a new set of rules. You're not going to make it more interesting. You're not going to make it any better. Um, the only reason they probably did that was because at the time I think that we had a. Uh, best two out of three period rule, which was probably the worst thing for wrestling. And now we have a, we're in a better spot where you actually compete for six full minutes. And, um, you know, it's not, you don't, you can't win by scoring two points. You know, this guy's scoring 10 points because you won period. That's just madness. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's probably why there were some rule changes in these little professional leagues. But I think that if we want to do it, we need to have, just freestyle rules. Um, eventually, if Greco wants to try to start a league, it's going to be they can start their own Greco league. Um, but I think you need to keep it separate for now, and for simplicity reasons. Um, obviously, as soon as you understand freestyle, it's pretty easy to follow. 
um, except for the few subjective calls that happens, which is common in every single sport. I don't think there's very many sports with no subjectivity. Um, but I think that <clears throat> it translates really well if for both men and women to have a, have a league with just freestyle rules. And then also for, for transition for the athletes, you have, there was, there was a couple events that <clears throat> people wanted me to wrestle in and the, the times were longer and the, uh, the rules were slightly different and I was trying to get ready to wrestle a, um, world team trials and I wanted to be on the world team and I was going to have to learn a new set of rules and, you know, if I won, obviously there was money to be won and everything like that. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to train for, you know, three or four weeks beforehand trying to learn the new rules so I could win um, and then have to revert back. Because once you start changing rules and changing styles, it starts kind of messing with your uh, your ability to compete at a high level. Yeah, I, from the, from my experience, uh, the last time the Olympics in 2012, they're on TV. I watched them at work with a bunch of my coworkers. None of them were wrestling fans. Some of them barely sports fans, and they kind of took to freestyle pretty easily. And I was explaining it to them. Then the next day, we're watching Greco. And then it was just like, you know, apples and oranges. And I could imagine if then you try to make some mix of the two or throw in a third set of rules, you, the average fan is just not going to be able to comprehend what's going on. And even, even, you know, even the, you know, guys who are wrestling fans kind of get confused you know, if you're throwing in extra rules. Yeah. To be completely honest, you know, there are similarities between – um, Freestyle and Greco, but they're mm-hmm. two completely different sports. And you need to, if you want to be the best in the world, you have to train full time in one concentration. Um, it's not as big of a difference, um, but it's it's pretty close to something like um, baseball and cricket. You know, mm-hmm. it's the same motions, right? It's the same motions of swinging back. It's almost the same motions as throwing a ball. Um, it's the same motions as running. But they're two completely different sports with two completely different mental approaches um, and strategy and things like that. So that's kind of how I uh, how I view freestyle and Greco. Uh, they group them in as the same as the same sport, wrestling, and that's close, you know, close to accurate, but. At the same time, I think they're they're very much different. And I've wrestled both, and I've had success at both at lower levels. Um, I tried wrestling Greco a few years ago, um, and I did okay. You know, it's not like I did mm-hmm. very bad, but <clears throat> it definitely I definitely wasn't a, you know I wasn't at a high I wasn't wrestling Greco at a very high level. I would need several months, years to to get to a level where I could compete with the best. And um, it's those, it's that's the type of commitment you need if you want to have a professional league. Now, I think a lot of this is getting into a whole new debate of, well, why why don't guys wrestle more Greco? Why why does Greco get slighted um, in media and, and things like that? There's just not as much much exposure 
and it's not, not close enough to folk style for people to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. In folk style, you can attack the legs. In Greco, you can't. But freestyle, you can. So I'm going to try to wrestle freestyle because it's closer and I don't have to make as big of a change. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's a few guys who can make the change, the transition fairly easily, but um, for the most part, I think folk style is I think we can all agree that folk style is more closely related to freestyle than it is to Greco. And, and, you know, from what I've seen, at least maybe around where I live in Virginia, you know, maybe there aren't as many coaches that are comfortable with teaching Greco. And you said the freestyle translates to folk style. So it's a little bit easier. They're more comfortable teaching and encouraging their wrestlers to wrestle freestyle instead of Greco as well. Definitely. I think that, a lot of folk style coaches have also had some freestyle experience. That doesn't mean that they're, you know, proficient in freestyle and the freestyle rules, but they know they can, they can transition to, to freestyle fairly easily. Obviously there's a few adjustments that need to be made. And I think that all of the coaches that try to coach freestyle need to be coached up um, in terms of, you know, having continuity between our, lower levels all the way up to our senior level athletes. Um, but it's it's much, more, much different than Greco. Okay, so what do you feel like is the best format for a pro league? Teams competing primarily in a dual format or, you know, some of the the pro leagues we've had recently have been like MMA-styled fight cards with, you know, maybe 120-kilo match, 57-kilo match, and a main event at 86, uh, you know, what do you think is uh, the best way to go? Um, you know, the, these, I don't know the next event that's coming up for any of those. I don't know if it, Flow Premier League has one. I don't know if Crowell has one. I don't know if Aegon has one. I don't know if any of these leagues have another event planned. Um and if they do, they're not advertising it very well. And um, that just shows that it's not not working well, I don't think. Um, having a team associated with a city, uh, not necessarily a big city, um, I think is, is a, much, a much better model. Um, I think having dual meets will attract, you know, more fans than just one single match um, because, you know, if you have, for, for let's, for example, say you go to <clears throat> Penn State. Mm-hmm. No, not Penn State. Let's go to Cornell. So you go to Cornell and you have fans of Nation Garrett, you have fans of Kyle Dake, you have fans of Gabe Keen, and you have fans of Enoch Francois. So we have mm-hmm. four four guys that would be on our team that can attract fans, right? They don't all just, let's say they don't all just want to come see Nation wrestle. A lot of them would love to come see Nation wrestle, but they would much rather go see Gabe Dean wrestle or vice versa. So I think that's one example. But then let's throw in the, let's throw in the fact that we can recruit people. So now instead of just having Cornell guys, we have, Guys from um, Lehigh. Yeah, we have Nick Wisdowski come to Cornell, and he trains with us on our team. And mm-hmm. now he's 
now he's a part of that, and people are like, oh, I've seen Nick Lizdowski wrestle the NCAAs. I want to watch him wrestle again. And it just brings in new blood a little bit. Each year, you're going to have slight changes in your lineup. Um, now, I <clears throat> I don't think we can have 15 weight classes. You know, it's just not reasonable to think that. You know, we could have... Eight to ten weight classes, I think, would be a, a solid number to have. Um, now, you can't have that many teams because there's not many that, there's not many athletes that can compete on that high level um, all the time. You know, not all the time, but without the other jobs. Because you know, wrestling doesn't make that much money, so guys are going to be wrestling professionally for a little bit less money hoping on their endorsements and their clubs and things like that. So um, the money factor kind of becomes a problem. Now, this is a kind of a chicken or the egg situation. You know, does the money come first or do the athletes come first? Um, for the higher-level athletes, I think they're like, well, I want the money in order to compete. And you have other athletes like, I'll just compete uh, for out, without money. Um, so mm-hmm. we kind of got to combination of both <clears throat> and I think there's enough interest um, with the athletes I've spoken with countless number of athletes who are willing to to wrestle uh, in a dual meet season for a few months out of the year um, now another problem with wrestling is that the Olympics is such a big part of it and so are the world championships and it takes up a lot of the year Mm-hmm. So you have coaches like, you know, Coach Zadek who plan 12 months out of the year to be competing. And obviously there's rest periods where you meet and you need to get rest. And now if we take those rest periods away and put in more wrestling, that's not ideal for winning world championships. So finding a balance between all of it is, is going to be very key. So I think working with Coach Zadek and figuring out his schedule, figuring out, hey, you know, when do you think would probably be the best time to, to have this league? Um, and take his advice, but also you, you gotta think, well, we need to, we need to do it on our own and we need to have a, have a separate entity from, from the U.S. Federation and kind of like mm-hmm. the Bundesliga in, um, Germany. Mm-hmm. I think they have a very good model and I think that it's, I think we can do something very similar here and have similar results um, in terms of people wanting to watch it, coming out to the events. And I think there's enough interest that we could get um, video coverage. Now, does that mean TV? Well, I think TV and online services are kind of melding together and will continue to do so over the next five to ten years. So Flow Wrestling and ESPN were going to be are going to be competitors on the same platform. Um, I don't know if cable is going to be. I, I I don't know how it's going to work out, but I think that's going to be something similar. So Flow Wrestling could be a very viable option for us. I think there's a lot of a lot of viewers through that site. Um, now we'd have to as a as a league, you'd have to work out obviously how to money and TV rights and everything like that would happen. Um, but I don't think we're quite there yet, but it's definitely a conversation that needs to happen. 
yeah, touching off of what you were saying, sometimes I feel like um, us in the wrestling community were, uh, you know, too fixated on having that TV deal. And, you know, fine, if you're having it on ESPN Live, I'm not going to argue with you. But if you're having it on, you know, a cable station that nobody's familiar with, tape delayed at 11 o'clock on a Sunday, I don't feel like that helps you as much. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think that having it, you know, on a – we don't need to be on a huge scale right away. Uh, um, we need to know where we can fit. And I think that unless you get a network that's like, okay, we're going to give you Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Uh, live, which I don't think would happen. It's possible, you know. You, you never know who – would come out of the woodwork for something like this and say, yeah, I'm going to support this and then what, what type of influence they have. But um, unless we have that, I think Flow is a, a great option. And we can also go to smaller networks, um, but I don't know how great of an option that would be. Uh, I, I'm just not in that. <clears throat> in that world, I would defer judgment to someone who has a better understanding of it and I think I think there's several people out there who are also interested in a league like this that would have a better understanding of which way we, which direction we need to go in terms of video rights okay and um, do you aim for established markets because you know we have the Olympic trials in Iowa City and, you know, they sell out, you have great atmosphere, um, but you can't put every event in Iowa City, or do you do what sometimes they'll do in the all-star matches and look for a market that needs to grow or needs help? Um, you know, what are you looking for if you're putting a, a team, putting together teams? I think we need to start with four to six teams, um, all relatively close, so we can kind of keep the fan bases travel, you know, kind of traveling. So let's say on a weekend, it's not it's not unreasonable to have somebody from New York drive to Cleveland or drive to Columbus or have somebody from Pennsylvania drive to New York or have somebody from um, Michigan drive to Ohio. You know what I mean? So I think that mm-hmm. there's markets that are big enough but also close enough to where we can create something that is at the you know grassroots level that can also attract a lot of fans. So I don't know how you do that. Um, maybe each team has a fleet of buses that they're willing to, um, you know, for a ticket and a bus ride, you get it for X amount of dollars, which is super cheap for most people, and it's just time that they have to go and come back. I think that people would love that. Um, you know, a four-hour bus ride to, to State College where there's already a big market there from Cornell, and we bring in 100 people, and they all sit in the same section, they're all screaming their head off, that's pretty sweet. That's not that many people. Right, 100 people from Cornell isn't that many. So, um, I think that if we can get in established markets where, obviously that's 
you know, you have the home field advantage. So if we go to State College, let's say they put 2,000 people in a in a re- in an arena that only hold, that holds you know 3,000 or less, um, I think that makes a pretty pretty loud atmosphere, but it's not the huge numbers that we're thinking. You know, everyone thinks, oh, we need 15,000 numbers or 15,000 people there because that's what they get for a Penn State deal. Well, we're not established like Penn State. You know, there's obviously fans and some of the people from Penn State are going to be wrestling for the State College Warriors or whatever you want to call them. Um, But I think that having, you know, having all of these cities that have established markets be on the same page is really important. And what happens and, and what I kind of saw with um, the national duels, it kind mm-hmm. of fizzled out because you had a couple people like, no, I'm not doing that. I don't like that idea. And they're just being stubborn and not wanting to do something and not saying they're overall good for it. They think they have a better idea and we can't have, we can't be fighting over who has better ideas. We just need to kind of work together to create create something. And there's only a couple ways there's only a couple places that you can do that. And if one or two of them are on board then that kinda of hurts. Um so some of the recent incarnations of Pro Wrestling have scheduled their events to be in the middle of youth and high school events. Uh, do you think this is a good idea, or is it something that needs to stand alone? I think it's a, a, a pretty good idea. Um, however, I think that it would be nice if the roles could be reversed. So, for example, we have a major event, and um, we also run a tournament around the event. Now, it's the same thing, right? But the focus is more on not on the tournament itself, the focus is on the the match um, between these two cities. And I think that it's a decent model to get people there and you can, you already have however many people there, but at the same time, it's not the the feel that you're going for because it's just like, it's, you know, it's a huge, there's a bunch, there's a lot of moving parts, you know, um, for a a hockey game. See, I thought that, uh, you know, with with uh, pro sports, you know, you generally don't see it mixed with, uh, you know, youth and high school, like as a preliminary or even the main event afterwards, where I almost feel like it cheapens it, where, you know, if I'm a parent out there and I have my eight-year-old wrestling, and then it's like, okay, clear off the mats, you know, Kyle Dake and David Taylor are going to wrestle, it's, you know, it's kind of like, man, you know, are those guys hard off there having to wrestle in the middle of a kids' tournament or something? Or you know, yeah. it doesn't I, it doesn't seem like the big leagues, but I understand where you want to have that market in there and those those fans that are already there. Yeah, and, and it, it is. There is a lot of if 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 we can get it to where we don't need that many fans to start off, and I don't think you do. I don't think you need, uh, you know. 10,000 people to come to your first event. That'd be really nice. I think it can happen in a few places. Um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that, be like that. You know, um, I think having it as a standalone event is really, is really cool for both the athlete and the fan. 
as long as as long as you can give them an experience. Mm-hmm. I think that um, if you don't give them the, the correct experience, then they're not gonna like the event. They're not gonna come back for, for the next one. So, what ideas can we steal from all of the successful sports in order to do that? Now you can say, oh, well, USC is doing really well and we should try to copy them. And I think that a lot of people are doing that because there's so many wrestlers who are in the USC and can see the model. Um, but USC is nowhere near as big as soccer or football or these other sports. And the only problem is, you know, it's just, we're so we would be so new that how can we deciding which direction we're going to go this early is probably really important. And having someone who knows the ins and outs of all all of the organizations, but also has a very good feel for what has worked for a company like BSC and what has worked for a company like um, the NFL. So I think there's, and I th- and I think we, there are people that we can contact who who would help in situations like this, or who know which direction to point us and say, hey, you should talk to this guy about this. Um, but you know, it's it's a long, it's not a long. I don't think it's a long way off. But at the same time, we have to have commitment uh, across the board to do something like this. And you have one or two very important guys people who are like, nah, I don't want to do it, like, kind of put the damper on things. And you obviously try to find a way to work around it and um, for a couple of years at least until they see the value in it and they're like, okay, yeah, I probably should have done this and, and we're in now. So we'll see what happens with, with something like this. We'll see if there's someone willing to kind of get the ball rolling. Um, obviously, I'm willing to give my input and talk to whoever I need to talk to to get something like this off the ground because I think that if we started it and had, you know, only, let's say we had six teams and we broke even. That, that, that to mm-hmm. me, is a success. Um, sure, yeah. But I think that we have to have the right people in the right positions to understand that this is a growing process and we're not, you know, there is going to be five years, 10 years until, you know, you're, you're making it super popular, super profitable. Um, and I think there's a couple of people, uh, you know, a few people out there who are like, yeah, I'll do that. So I think that you have to have, I think it needs to be a separate entity. Um, I think the RTC method is great and having, Having a training center is is awesome, but um, being separate from a university, I think, would also be um, beneficial. It would have, you know, there's obviously pros and cons to having both. Um, number of training partners comes to mind when when talking about being at a university, um, but that's just a discussion that needs to take place. As soon as it gets the wheels going. So on your end as a competitor, one of the more marketable guys in the country, you know, a guy that people would like to have on board for a league like this, 
you know, what do you want on your end in order to commit to competing? Or is it, you know, like you said, there's people that are just like, hey, give me a couple bucks, I'll wrestle, that's great. I think that having training partners is is very important. Um, but I think another thing is if we have, let's say you have two backups and, you know, four backups for the nine weight classes and one of them happens to be near your weight that you can work out with. So you have the starter below you, the starter above you, and the one extra workout partner. So that's three. Not to mention any of the coaches that are around. That, that could be four, maybe five um, extra athletes for for you to compete with. And the good thing about that is that they're all wrestling freestyle. So when you're at a when you're at a college, you're wrestling college kids who are probably at a high level. Um, at the same time, they're they're wrestling folks down. Their focus is a little bit different than the focus that we have, and the tendencies are a little bit different, and the the way you drill is a little bit different. The way you get taken down is a little bit different, um, and and it's those little differences that could, you know, be the difference between uh, winning and losing at a high level. You know, winning a gold medal versus winning a, a silver medal at the Olympic Games. Um, and if we had a professional league that was self-sustaining and was separated from colleges and you only had freestyle partners, I think that raises the level of America as a country. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, that will raise our, our freestyle wrestling and make us more competitive on the world stage, both at the world championships and at the Olympics. And that not to mention that it just brings more attention to to the sport. So if you're a five-year-old, 10-year-old who watches their favorite athlete wrestle professionally for 10 years, and, you know, a good example would be uh, watching Kobe Bryant grow up or watching LeBron James transition, you know, how he has developed. and Or, you know, even now watching Steph Curry, you have, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of kids who never thought they had a shot at the NBA who are like, I can be like Steph Curry. I can shoot a three-point ball. I can learn how to do all this. And it gives them inspiration to to want to compete at a high level and even just compete, you know, that'll grow the sport in itself. You have have guys who are all, all performing at a really high level coming out of high school that just grows the sport. And I think what would be really interesting would see would be to see um, how many guys would forego college to wrestle in a professional league. That would be mm-hmm. really cool. You have a guy like Aaron Pico who could forego <laughs> wrestling in the NCAAs because he wanted to be uh, a full free, free, full-time freestyle wrestler and eventually a fighter. But if he could be a full-time freestyle wrestler and eventually, uh, you know, a uh, wrestling at a professional league, I think that's pretty, I think that's awesome. So, Mm -hmm. um, the, the possibilities are, are endless for, for something like this and and what could happen. And, um, it just gets you, it gets me really excited to see, you know, if we do something like this, what kind of impact we'll have over the, the next generation and the following generation of wrestlers and how, how it'll help, grow our sport and and make us more competitive on the world stage 
Okay, I've taken up a lot of your time. Before we go, maybe a couple quick thoughts on this weekend. The World Cup is an event, our team's performance, and then, like, prospects for Rio. Um, <clears throat> so in terms of World Cup, I thought the, the U.S. wrestled really well. Um, I thought that we competed at a high level, even though we had two guys, two of our veterans not, not competing um, for our team. I thought that some of the young guys really stepped up and, and performed at a high level. Um, I thought it was really cool to see where Daniel Bennis was um, at, on the world stage. He wrestled the world number one and the world number two, and obviously came a little short, but he showed he could score points. Um, yeah, he did score on both of them. And he, he showed that you know he, he has a world-class gut wrench. He, he showed that he can um, attack those guys. Now, He's going to make adjustments, and he's going to learn from that. And, and I think it was great that he hit them early. Um, and and Because I think that he's – right now, he's a, a mid-level guy on the world stage, but with, with very high potential um, to becoming, the, you know, one of the best guys in the world. I think that he's a, a, a very strong competitor, and – he has a very good style that translates well to freestyle and can and can win win matches. He knows how to throw. He knows how to. He has great parterre offense. Um, he has good leg attacks. He has, you know, the only thing he needs to make sure make sure happens is that guy can't get get to his legs and finish clean. Um, if he can get to his head pinch and score from his head pinch, then he'll be doing all right. So I know he has a lot of adjustments that he wants to make, and I think he's going to make some very, <clears throat> very good adjustments to, to make that next step once Rio comes around. Okay. Um, Ramos, Ramos looked all right. He looked, uh, you know, he looked pretty good for, for at 61 kilos. I think he could get a little bit bigger for the world championships in December. Um, and continue working on his skill set. I think he, you know, he, he was much more active. Um, you know, he didn't have all the results he wanted to, but he still wrestled well. I thought uh, Frank Molinaro and James Green both both wrestled really, really well this weekend. Frank seemed to pull pull victories out of the hat at the end of matches, <laughs> and uh, he scored when he needed to, which is, you know, very impressive. It's very impressive to see, and, and James was just very dominant. Um you know, he pretty much scored at will and, and showed that he has a world-class leg lace. Um, 74, I thought Derringer, for his, for his first time, he wrestled really well. Um, obviously, he ran into a buzzsaw with uh, Yazdani Chirati from Iran, but mm-hmm. that guy was that guy's a beast. And uh, I'm sure he'll he'll go home and make some more adjustments and, and get better from it. Uh, Jaden looked really good. Um, until he he caught that guy from Georgia. Uh, that Georgian is is very crafty, uh, very long and strong. Uh, I I never got a chance to wrestle him, but I've seen him wrestle a bunch. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I I thought Kyle Snyder looked really well. You know, looked really good. Scored when he needed to. And uh, um, Barner and and Ray, you know, did what they did what they could with what they had. But uh, yeah, that's cool. Cool to watch. Great event. I thought I thought the event overall was marketed really well. Uh, it looked like a ton of fun. It sounded like a ton of fun. Um, I, I just thought it was a great event. 
So I understand you're a little banged up. Do you have a timetable of when we may see you in action again? Um, I'm not 100% sure. I'm a month out uh, of shoulder surgery. Um, I probably got four months until I'm back wrestling live. Um, and uh, I'm not sure when I'm going to be able to compete again. Um, I don't want to come back too fast and, and re-injure it, obviously. I don't want to, you know, I, I basically just, it's kind of a, a waiting game. And each day we kind of uh, evaluate where we're going to be and, um, you know, it's it's frustrating process, but it's a process I've been needing to go through for the past two years. Okay, well, this was fun. Is there anything that you would like to promote or plug while we have it on? Uh, yeah, I just want to thank all my sponsors, um, X-Athletic, Milwaukee Tool, Spartan, Finger Lakes Wrestling Club, ASICS, ASICS Wrestling, um, and Core Power. They're all, you know, make my job and my life much easier by supporting me and if i can do anything to support them i will okay huge thanks to kyle dake for coming on sudden history once again thanks to kyle dake for talking with us this week i like how it played out it was initially supposed to be about a pro wrestling league and we did plenty of talking about the subject but it also ended up with a broad discussion about youth wrestling and the overall state of our sport so that was good Well, that's it for this week. Remember to check out all the shows on the Matt Talk Podcast Network. And Greg Jones, help me wrap it up. How the hell do I get off this stage?